Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the ABA Law Student Podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Fabiani Duarte, chair of the ABA Law Student Division. I'm a third-year law student at Mercer University's School of Law in Georgia. And I'm Madison Burke, governor of the Law Student Division's 12th Circuit, and I'm a 3L at the University of Washington School of Law in Seattle, Washington. Our show today is presented by the American Bar Association's Law Student Division. For today's show, we welcome David Latt, the founder and managing editor of Above the Law, the well-known legal blog that gives news and commentary about the U.S. legal industry. Content includes information on salaries and bonuses, law schools and firms, and much more. His writing has also appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, among other publications. And in 2008, Above the Law was listed as one of the ABA Journal's 100 Best Websites by Lawyers for Lawyers. A 2007 article in the Washington Post referred to his website as a must-read legal blog. And in June 2013, the website's traffic exceeded 1 million visitors per month. Prior to ATL, Lat launched Underneath Their Robes, a blog about federal judges. David also worked as a federal prosecutor in Newark, New Jersey, a litigation associate in New York, and a law clerk to a Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals judge. David graduated from Harvard College and Yale Law School, where he served as an editor of the Yale Law Journal. David, welcome to the ABA Law Student Podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, awesome, David. Uh, You're known as an expert on the state of legal markets for grads. Um, If I was your little brother or sister, what are two or three of the biggest tips you would give me right now as I'm getting through law school, looking towards diving into the legal market? Yes. Well, in terms of legal employment, uh, there's no magic bullet or particular secret. Uh, It's not like that scene in The Graduates where the older gentleman tells uh, the uh, young guy, oh, it's all about plastics. Uh, There has to be, (laughs) I I guess I would say, three things. Um, One is know yourself. Every young lawyer's career path is different. And so you need to figure out the things that inspire you, the things that you're good at, and really try to shape your career with an eye towards those goals. Uh, The second thing I would say is uh, it helps to specialize. Uh, In this day and age, knowledge is proliferating. That's certainly true in the legal profession as well. And there are some people who may be able to still enjoy a career as a generalist who works on many different types of cases or transactions. But I do think the general trend is moving towards specialization. As the law gets more complex, it's hard to be good and knowledgeable about everything. So I think it helps to specialize. And that's something that someone can start in law school. You can start focusing on a particular area of law, a particular type of practice that you really want to pursue after graduation. And then the third thing I would mention, especially given the still challenging job market for some uh, law school graduates, is it is certainly possible to consider options beyond practice. There are a lot of options that are related to uh, the profession of law uh, that are not necessarily the practice of law. So, for example, the field of compliance has been growing rapidly thanks to increased government oversight. 
Another thing that we're seeing that we cover a lot on Above the Law is the rise of legal technology. There are all sorts of technologies that are transforming the way law, uh, lawyers practice. And a lot of these companies, some of them quite well-funded, are looking to hire people with legal backgrounds, even if the jobs that these legal technology companies offer are not specifically practicing law. So I think that is certainly an option that people should consider, especially if they find uh, it challenging to get a traditional legal job. Okay. Yeah, thank you for that. So knowing what you know now and having the experience that you have now, uh, if we could go back in time to Yale Law School and find a young David Latt walking around as a 1L, what would you tell him uh, as he's, he's embarking on that journey to law school? You know, it's interesting, and perhaps this is a little bit counterintuitive, but I would tell my younger self to focus more on uh, people and connections and classmates. Uh, I think that in some ways the conventional wisdom about law school is, oh, it's so hard, it's so challenging, you need to get really great grades, you need to focus on the books. And I think that's certainly true. You do want to do as well academically as you can. But when I was in law school, I think I neglected uh, getting to know uh, some of my classmates. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of strange, but it's only years later that I'm now discovering, wow, I went to law school with some really amazing, fun, talented, uh, cool people. And I'm not, I didn't really get to know them as well as I could have in law school. Uh, law school is a great opportunity to, even just from a professional perspective, network. The people who are sitting next to you in your 1L classes in the future are going to be people who might be able to help you professionally. They might be outside, uh, they might be uh, in-house lawyers who can hire your law firm. They might be people who will be considering your application to become a judge. They might be people thinking about whether to hire you for their law school faculty. They might be people who can send you referrals. Uh, so I think it, the, law the law industry, the legal profession is still very much about connections, just like so many other areas. And I think it can really pay to get to know your classmates and uh, not just spend all your time in the library. That's, that's great advice. You know, it's uh, something I, I know a lot of us struggle with because we, we prioritize or try to prioritize our studies and, and that balance between working hard and, and playing hard or, or the social atmosphere is, is difficult. But um, that's great advice. I, I know that uh, you uh, have been very motivated to pursue lots of initiatives uh, that required a lot of self-starting creativity. Uh, one of those things is the Underneath Their Robes blog, which is quite a, quite a title. Uh, what motivated you to start that? And uh, what's, the, what's the idea behind the, 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 the name there? Yeah, so this was a blog, the first blog I started uh, back in 2004, so quite a while ago. And there weren't as many blogs around uh, back then as there are today. And at the time, I was working as a federal prosecutor, and I was doing a lot of writing, but it was legal writing, memos, briefs, uh, motions, uh, things of that nature. And there was a part of me that had done journalism in uh, college and high school and that had also been on the law journal in law school. And I missed writing things that were not just strictly briefs or memos. I missed things that were a little bit more journalistic and a little bit more fun and irreverent. So I started this blog underneath their robes under a pseudonym uh, because when you're a federal prosecutor appearing before federal judges, to write a sometimes irreverent, cheeky, humorous blog about federal judges can create complications. 
So I started this blog under a pseudonym, uh, pretending to be uh, a woman who worked in private practice as opposed to a man <laughs> who worked in government. Uh, I gave myself a pseudonym uh, inspired by Article 3 of the Constitution, which establishes the federal judiciary. I called myself Article 3 Groupie because I was really this fangirl who loved federal judges. So the blog was kind of like this mix of Us Weekly and People Magazine and Tiger Beat, but for federal judges. And it talked about which judges were awesome and brilliant. And I had a contest for uh, the most beautiful and most handsome federal judges on the bench. And it was really kind of an outlet for some of my sillier musings that I really couldn't quite get out during the day job. So I think that is what inspired it. And uh, it, I don't really actively update it today, but you can still see the archives. If you just Google underneath their robes, it's all still there and you can get, you can get a sense of what it was about. Who are some of the uh, best looking federal judges out there right now? Uh, was Judge Alex Kaczynski of the Ninth Circuit. And he actually self-nominated as a judicial super hottie. Uh, oh, wow. It really <laughs> caused quite a stir uh, for a federal judge to nominate himself. Uh, and this is what got the blog written up in uh, Newsweek and got it featured on CNN because it was sort of unorthodox. But he talked about his ability to write a really great dissent. Uh, he mentioned his snowboarding. Uh, judge Kaczynski, if you are not familiar with him, is a very colorful character. He's not your ordinary federal judge. And so uh, he nominated himself. He included a clip from uh, the dating game that he was on years ago wow. uh, before he became a judge. So uh, his self-nomination was hilarious, and it really carried the day. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so um, speaking of non-brief uh, writing... Uh, you published a book in 2014 called Supreme Ambitions, and uh, it was very well received. The New York Times said uh, for an elite niche uh, consisting largely of federal judges and their clerks, Supreme Ambitions has become the most buzzed about novel of the year. What uh, led to you wanting to write this novel um, and, and what's the novel about? Yes. So uh, Supreme Ambitions came out in December of 2014. It was published actually by an imprint of the ABA, the uh, new Anchorwick imprint. And for me, what I th what there were a couple of things I think uh, that motivated me to, to write the novel. The first is I am a, a lover of fiction. I was an English major in college. And I had always wanted to write a book, specifically fiction. Uh, so I think that this was definitely something that was on the old bucket list in terms of something I wanted to accomplish. And it was a challenge for me, too, because most of my writing uh, is online and uh, more journalistic or nonfiction. So I wanted to uh, set myself a challenge. Uh, the second th thing I think that motivated me in terms of writing the book was exploring this really formative period in my own career as a lawyer before I moved into media. My first job out of law school was clerking for a judge on the Ninth Circuit, Judge O'Scanlan, who was a wonderful boss and mentor. And it was such an exciting time in my life to be just out of law school and working on these really interesting, important cases and also learning about myself as a young lawyer and a person. And so I wrote the novel in a way to almost tap into that younger self and to explore issues that would be relevant to law students and young lawyers as they try to find their professional path and also find their personal path and what makes them happy. Because the novel is in many ways, as you can tell from the title, about ambition and the nature of it and what we're all looking for out of life. And what is that about? Is it 
happiness? Is it uh, prestige? Is it wealth? Uh, what are the things that uh, people are looking for? Uh, and so uh, the uh, character, the main character, Audrey, she's a young woman clerking for a Ninth Circuit judge. And when she initially starts the job, I think Audrey is very much like many young, ambitious law students, focused on prestige and focused on getting the next job. Uh, but in some ways, I think over the course of the novel, she learns about the other things that there are in life in terms of relationships and uh, friendships and personal connections. And I think she comes to a broader understanding, perhaps, of what, uh, what life and careers are about. Um, in terms of what's after uh, Supreme Ambitions, I'm not sure. Uh, I haven't really figured that out yet. Uh, the novel does end in a way where there could be a sequel, uh, but I haven't yet decided uh, what direction I want to go in. All right, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've noticed that uh, you know your protagonist in in your novel was a, a young woman, and and the voice through which you wrote uh, the underneath their robes uh, blog was was a woman. Do you do you find it easier uh, to to write uh, through the the voice of a woman when you're developing this kind of alternative personality, or is that just uh, a coincidence? Uh, no, it was definitely not a coincidence. Uh, so, there's the the novel in some ways taps into the DNA of underneath their robes. Uh, at Above the Law, we spend a lot of time covering large law firms and law schools, whereas Supreme Ambitions and Underneath Their Robes are all about the federal judiciary, the federal courts. And so I wanted the novel to almost be uh, like a uh, like uh, hearkening back to uh, Underneath Their Robes because – when I stopped doing Underneath Their Robes, a lot of people really enjoyed it, but it was it was a small group of people relative to Above the Law. It was almost like a little kind of cult thing. Uh, and I think a lot of people missed the super inside baseball centered around the federal courts. And so when I did the novel, I wanted to get back in that frame of mind. And I think one way to do that was to be writing from a female perspective that I also used for the blog. The second reason I think I chose to write from the perspective of a young woman is the book does explore issues of gender in the legal profession and the particular challenges that women can face as they climb the ladder uh, in the legal world. And so I felt it would be easier to address and tackle those issues uh, through the perspective of a woman protagonist. Uh, interesting. Like uh, maybe maybe Madison wants to explore this. Uh, what, what are some of those gender issues in the profession that, that you explore that you think uh, are still pretty prevalent in, in the industry right now? Well, I do think that things have gotten a lot better in terms of the most overt displays of uh, sexism and discrimination, but there's still a long way to go. This is certainly something that one of my colleagues on Above the Law, Stacey Zaretsky, has been chronicling. Uh, she collects horror stories about some of the treatment that women still receive in the legal profession. Uh, but I think now sometimes it's less overt and sometimes it has to do more with stereotyping, uh, which is something that the book explores. Another issue that the book explores is the nature of ambition and the gendered nature of it and how ambitious women in particular uh, sometimes incur dislike or sometimes face opposition, whereas ambitious men are viewed as driven and world conquering and it's seen very positively. Uh, so I have two uh, women in my novel, Audrey the Clerk and her boss, uh, Christina Wong Stinson, who's a judge on the Ninth Circuit, and both of them are very ambitious. And I wanted to explore uh, how it is to be a woman with these ambitions for some of the uh, biggest and uh, most important jobs in the legal profession. Interesting. 
Um, well, thank thank you for exploring that a little bit. Um, let let's go back to uh, ATL above the law. Is that what you guys call it uh, today? Is for short. All right. Since I live in ATL, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure every time I saw the acronym. Um, but uh, you're the managing editor and the founder. What, what is uh, your current relationship uh, with the with uh, ATL, a meaning like on, on a day to day basis? And are you working on other projects outside of it? Well, I'm pretty much focused full time on it now, especially now that the book is, you know, mainly uh, behind me. I still do occasional book events, but uh, for the most part, I've been pretty much back in the trenches uh, on uh, on Above the Law. So my day to day role is I I run the site, I edit stories, I write stories of my own, uh, and I also, in some ways serve as uh, a brand ambassador. I go to events and conferences and speaking engagements. So uh, there are a lot of different uh, aspects to the job, but it's very much focused on trying to build and grow the site and increase our readership and share uh, information and entertainment with our readers. Uh, So yes, it is a full-time thing for me. And the site has grown quite a bit. We turned 10 this year, actually. Uh, and wow. we have about 10 full-time employees. Uh, five of us are on the writing, editing side. And then we have folks who do things like ad sales, um, events, uh, technology, research. Uh, so we really have a pretty well-developed uh, operation. We would still always like to grow more, uh, but uh, we, have a, we have about a, you know 10 or so uh, full-time people plus uh, more than 20 outside columnists uh, most of them practicing lawyers uh, and a handful of law students who also write for us once a week uh, or once every two weeks or once a month uh, on different areas of interest. Yeah. So you briefly mentioned that, you know, you've clerked uh, with the Ninth Circuit. You were a federal prosecutor. We also mentioned to our listeners in the introduction that you were a litigation associate. Um, all of that is pretty um like standard path for a law graduate, right? Those are the things they tell you about. Clerk for a judge, you get in an associate position with a law firm or work for the government as a prosecutor or a defender. But how did you switch from that path, like a very traditional law practice, to writing on blogs like Underneath Their Robes and now doing um, the, the Above the Law website? Yeah, so for me, uh, Madison, it really was a situation where I had a hobby that then turned into a job. And I think that this is something that lawyers who are interested in exploring non-legal options can definitely follow. Uh, I still had my day job as a prosecutor, but I, in my free time, explored this other interest, which was non-legal writing. And this is something that many lawyers can do, and I've seen many lawyers do. We often write them up on Above the Law, say a lawyer who works at a firm but has an ice cream company on the side, and then the ice cream company does well, and then she can leave her legal job and focus on it full time. Uh, Or lawyers who come up with an idea for a startup or an app or uh, who uh, do a real estate business on the side. I think that this is one really good way for lawyers to explore other options because lawyers tend to be risk averse. And so it can be a little bit terrifying to say, I'm going to quit my stable, perhaps even lucrative legal job to do this other thing. Whereas if you start doing that other thing on the side, on your evening and weekend time, uh, you can kind of test it and see if it develops a following, if it picks up. And once it picks up in terms of interest level or revenue, then you can say, you know what, 
this thing is doing pretty well. I think I can branch out. So I think that for a lot of risk-averse lawyers, uh, trying to explore other things while still holding down your day job is a very good path. One of the big things that we uh, work with in the law student division, Madison and I and our, and our board members, is trying to address some of the issues and crises facing law students. Um, what would you say is the biggest crisis facing law students, uh, in your opinion, right now? Well, this is not exactly a surprise, especially people who read above the law regularly. But I guess I would ident- identify two problems, which kind of become one in a way. I think one is the high debt load carried by many law students. Law school is expensive, and uh, many lawyers who go to law school have to borrow huge sums in order to finance their legal education. And then the second thing that is related to this problem is just the challenging job market. Even though it's there's some evidence that it's getting better, you're still looking at under 60% of law school graduates who can find full-time, long-term uh, employment uh, requiring a law degree, meaning that you have 40-plus percent of law grads who may not necessarily be working in the practice, and some of them are unemployed or underemployed. And so when you combine that difficulty in getting a good, stable, well-paying job with the debt loads that law students are carrying, I think it does create uh, something of a crisis. And it's something that we've been trying to uh, shed light on and above the law and make sure that people who go to law school do so knowing that it is not this instant path to riches, but it can sometimes be very challenging. Yeah, we, we did a recent series on on how to address some of those debt issues and how to be smart uh, with our money. And as we uh, look at loans, what are some of the best options? Uh, what do you think are some of the biggest opportunities um, along with or outside of the, the loan issues that students face um, that uh, law students should uh, grab onto or, or seek to jump on right now? Well, I did mention uh, one of them earlier, and I think it is the way that uh, technology is transforming the legal profession. A lot of older lawyers are a little bit scared of technology. Sometimes uh, they went to law school because they weren't good at math and science, and they really have this aversion to technology. But the good thing is people who are in law school today – Technology is really interwoven into the fabric of your lives, whether it's your smartphone or we're doing this interview over Skype or all of the apps that people use. And I think young lawyers who enter the profession with this knowledge of technology they use every day can figure out ways in which lawyers can practice more efficiently and work smarter for their clients. So I think there are so many opportunities related to technology, whether it is using technology to figure out how to serve your clients better whether it's coming up with a new technology that you can sell or market to other lawyers, uh, whether it's using technology uh, to improve the uh, quality of uh, and availability of uh, justice uh, in our system. There are so many ways that uh, technology can help advance uh, law in the legal profession. And I would really urge uh, law students to explore that and to think about all of the opportunities that it presents. Thanks. So... Um, as you may know, the uh, ABA just opened membership to all law students. So it's now free and every law student in the country can be a member of the ABA. What advice would you give or what would you recommend to law students to take advantage of that free membership for the three years that they're in law school? Well, that's great. Uh, when I was in law school, you did have to uh, pay dues to the ABA. And even though they were not high, 
maybe that deterred people or something. So I think it's great that uh, this is being done. And in terms of making the most of ABA membership, I feel like in some ways it is like your legal education. You get out of it what you put into it. So I would urge students, for example, to attend the meetings and conferences that the ABA and the law student division have. They are really great opportunities. I talked earlier about getting to know your classmates, your colleagues, your friends. And the ABA networking opportunities are really unparalleled. So I would urge people to join the ABA and then to attend as many events as possible, whether they are events with your local chapter, whether they are national events, the annual meeting, the mid-year meeting. Uh, there are just so many, or the, you know, the meetings for the different circuits. There's so many different opportunities out there uh, for law students who join uh, the association. And I, I would urge people to make the most of them. We, we didn't pay him to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer right, to right. all our listeners. I did publish my book, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not paid <laughs> as a spokesperson of the association. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the, the, next, uh, the next competition is best looking uh, ABA law student division board member. And uh, if we get chosen, <laughs> it wasn't our fault. It wasn't our issue. <laughs> So we've talked a lot about law school. We've talked a lot about um, uh, your your perspectives and observations of the legal market. Let's let's talk about something not law related for a second. Uh, when you were in law school, like us, there were a lot of things you were exposed to. A lot of, I'm sure, personal growth that you experienced. What is something not law related that you've continued to carry with you into your career uh, from law school that you think is worth? Um, uh, sharing with us and that we might um, put our antennas out to try to experience and, and pick up and carry with us ourselves? Hmm, that's a, that's a challenging uh, question, actually, because like I said, I was so immersed in law stuff in law school that uh, I'm trying to think of non-law related things that I learned in law school uh, that I carry with me. Like, uh, well, I was, you know, I was at Yale in New Haven. Uh, so one thing I learned is White clam pizza is delicious. Uh, Pepe <laughs> has amazing. Now I'm not being paid to say this either, but you know, if they come <laughs> the next visit, I wouldn't object. Uh, you know, <laughs> who thought that clam, putting clams on pizza would actually work? But it's delicious. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a white pizza, uh, so there's no tomato sauce on it. But it's it's really uh, it's really excellent. Uh, I guess what I would say about law school and something that I didn't do enough of, but I guess I did learn it and I think it is not law-related, is I know it's become such a cliche, but you really do have to have balance in your life. Uh, and it's not just about working, 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 and billing, billing, billing. Uh, and one of the things I do like about love about my current job is even though we work hard at Above the Law, we also have reasonable hours, and we tend to wind down at a reasonable hour each day because most people read us in the office or read us in law school, they're not necessarily reading us at 10 p.m. So we're not necessarily writing at 10 p.m. And we don't work that much on weekends. And it is nice to, you know, in some ways work and play are blending all the time. And I socialize a lot with lawyers. So I'm always interested in possible story ideas or things I can use or write about. So in that sense, I'm always working, but I'm not always working and I am having fun. And so I really would urge um, you guys and your readers to make sure that you do have that kind of balance and don't let work consume your entire existence. Yeah, it's uh, always a great advice and one of those things that I think 
we could all use um, to, to be repeated to us over and over again. It's something we know, but it's so hard sometimes to put into practice. Um, one thing that helps us uh, put some of that advice into practice sometimes are kind of mantras. Uh, do you have a, a life's motto uh, or uh, what you would call a, a calling that you could put into words that, I don't know, you maybe get up every day and say to yourself or something that you um, you know, carry inside uh, of your, your mind and heart that motivates you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that one quotation I really love is by Justice Brandeis, uh, who once wrote that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I think in my career as a journalist and as a blogger, I have really tried to shed light on areas that are not necessarily covered that much. Uh, in the hope that perhaps giving people a better understanding of how these areas work could lead to improvement. Uh, so with Underneath Their Robes, a lot of that was about bringing greater transparency to the federal judiciary, which can be sometimes mysterious in its operation. And then at Above the Law, certainly we have brought greater transparency to the world of large law firms, which can be very secretive and opaque institutions and can be very difficult to, na to navigate, especially for people who are not connected, who are maybe the first lawyers in their family, uh, people from different backgrounds. Uh, so I think it's very helpful for people to know what it's like uh, to work at a firm and the culture of firms and uh, how to succeed in firms, uh, which is why we have added a lot of career resources uh, to Above the Law. And also related to that, we have shed a lot of sunlight on the world of law schools, trying to help people make better, more informed decisions about whether to pursue a legal education given the costs and given the time involved and, and given the risks. And then also in my book, too, uh, even though it is a novel, it is very much based on reality. And that also was trying to shed light on the clerkship and what that experience is like. And uh, for people who might be interested in clerking, uh, the book does give them a sense of what uh, that is like on a day-to-day -day basis and what it's like on a big picture level. So I really would say that that would probably be my motto or mantra, uh, just about bringing transparency uh, and helping people uh, get knowledge so they can make a better, more informed decisions about their lives and about their careers. Where would you say your desire to create that transparency uh, comes from? Is that something from your family or your heritage or where you grew up? Um, where yeah, is that no, that's, rooted? That's, that's a really interesting question. I think that I think that some of it actually comes from the challenges that I faced uh, as a young uh, law student and lawyer uh, in the sense that uh, my parents, uh, they're doctors, they came here from the Philippines um, before I was born. And even though I have many relatives who are lawyers in the Philippines, my parents didn't have any particular knowledge of the US legal profession. And so a lot of times as I was trying to pursue my career, I would have to rely upon the grapevine, talking to three L's when I was a one L. Oh, what firms should I apply to? What judges should I apply to? What things should I be reading? Uh, how do I do well in this professor's class? A lot of this was just really informal and it was just about who you knew. And if you don't know the right people, you're not necessarily going to get the right information about how to develop your career. So I think I wanted to put that all online uh, so people can find out uh, for themselves without necessarily being plugged into an existing network. I think it's important to build your personal network, uh, as we've been discussing, but for people who don't necessarily have that network going in, uh, it's great to just be able to go online and Google a topic and find a wealth of information about it. So I think that 
my desire to put this uh, information out there stemmed from my looking for this information when I was a law student and a lawyer myself. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah. I I have a question about that, actually. Um, it seems to me, I think it's great what you're doing, and I think transparency is so important. I've had a lot of the same experiences just trying to navigate things that it sounds like you had when you were in law school. And I wonder, when you started doing Above the Law, did you get a lot of pushback? Because it still feels to me like, you know, private practice, for example, they like that it's not transparent. That's purposeful um, in, in the decision to have their hiring practices and the track to partnership and all of those things be uh, difficult to figure out or unknown to the outside world. And so have you gotten pushback from the legal community because of kind of showing behind the curtain? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Madison. And we have gotten some pushback over the years. Uh, certainly, uh, institutions not giving us information, which is fine. I can understand. Uh, they don't, they don't. No one's required to give us information. If we reach out with an email or a phone call saying we hear you're laying off people, do you want to comment? They don't have to give us information. Uh, but uh, I think that now that we've been around for almost a decade. We actually get better traction now. We get more cooperation because I think people are realizing, look, we're around for the long haul. We're not going anywhere. And so if they are going to be writing about us, let's at least make sure they have our side of the story. Uh, so we did get some initial pushback, especially in the earlier years. And we still get some pushback in terms of uh, people trying to uh, squelch stories or people complaining about stories. Um, but for them, But it's definitely getting better. Uh, partly because I think people realize that uh, we are around and we are read by, uh, as you guys mentioned in the intro, more than a million uh, unique visitors a month. And so they want to make sure their side is represented. Yeah, that's great. I I think it's really important what you're doing and I for law students, but also for the legal profession. And uh, thank you for this great conversation. We're so glad that we had you um, on our law student podcast today, David. Hey, yeah. thanks for having me, and thanks for the wonderful questions. Thank you so much, David. I really, really appreciate it. This is, this is a great conversation. Besides reaching you on Twitter at David Latt, what's the best way to get in contact with you for our listeners? So Twitter actually is a great way to reach me. I'm pretty responsive on it. And in some ways, I'm better on Twitter than I am on email because my email is just flooded, and I think we all have a hard time keeping up with it. Uh, but... People can email us if they have story ideas, uh, tips, uh, uh, requests for corrections, compliments, complaints. We are at tips at abovethelaw.com. That goes to me, but it also goes to all of my colleagues at Above the Law. So if you have a general story idea or a general comment about Above the Law, not something for me specifically, you can reach us at tips. And I will see it, but so will my colleagues. Uh, Twitter is great. Uh, I am also on Facebook, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm on all the usual social networks. I'm on Instagram. Um, <laughs> so I am. I am. I love social media. And, Snapchat. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not yet. I think I have an account, but I haven't really. Uh, I don't really use Snapchat much. Same with Vine, but uh, at least Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Uh, those are the big four of my life, I guess. Perfect. Gotcha. Well. We hope all our listeners enjoyed another episode of the ABA Law Student Podcast. We'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our show on iTunes. And once you've done that, take a moment to rate and review us as well. You can also tweet to us at, at ABA LSD and use hashtag Law Student Podcast to tell us what's on your mind. I'm at Fabiani Duarte. 
And I'm at Madison Burke, signing off. Thank you for listening, everyone. Work hard, play smart, and until next time, podcasters. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.